Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. travel hostess. Tonight, the gang is all here, including the panda. Road trip with the panda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and friends. Yeah, and friends. <laughs> I know. We're There's a full car here, I swear. <laughs> so tonight's episode, which is released on December 7th, is in remembrance of the attack of Pearl Harbor in 1941. So this is a special episode in recognition of what would escalate to the United States getting involved in World War II. So prior to this day, this day of infamy, as President Roosevelt will dub it as, the United States, for the most part, supported England, and Winston Churchill was doing his very best to get his bestie, Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, involved. But the United States as as a nation was divided. And one thing people need to understand is that presidents cannot declare war. Only Congress can. And in addition to that, we can only declare war against another nation if we've been attacked. That is in the Constitution. Now... President Roosevelt had a problem. The nation was greatly divided. Now, as commander-in-chief, he has total authority over the military. And what he does next is, in my opinion, a very controversial move. I think he did it on purpose. I think he knew exactly what he was hoping would happen. Would happen. And what he does is he uses the idea of moving the entire United States Pacific Fleet to a very small harbor in the territory of Hawaii, because Hawaii was not a part of the United States as a state, and they basically weigh anchor and sit there. Why does the president of a neutral country move a very big portion of his navy to an unknown base in the middle of the Pacific, near a potential enemy. That question is still being questioned and probed today. Vacation. Well, Hawaii is certainly beautiful. Yes. And back then, I can't imagine beautiful it was being undeveloped mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. 1940s. Just being a base for yeah. enemy. Correct. Now, the thing was... Roosevelt was told by many people, the British, other allies that weren't official allies officially because we weren't in the war, 
even the underground, I believe it was Korean agents told the United States, the Japanese are going to attack. So he knew it. The question was, or is still, did he deliberately put the Navy where the Japanese could attack to get us involved into World War II? And that's a mystery. And with the beginning of the United States, even the beginning of us getting into this war, that there are so many mysteries that occurred during World War II that remain a mystery to this day. Now, a lot of people don't understand or realize that Admiral Yamamoto, who actually studied here in America, he went to Harvard, he paid attention to American culture. And one of the big things that he realized that Sunday mornings were America's sleeping day. So it comes to absolutely no surprise that December 7th, which was a Sunday, was the date of fate chosen because he knew that the United States, even its armed forces, would be sleeping in on Sunday. So, and, and it was said that he even watched to confirm that on Sundays of Pearl Harbor, the ships and stuff, they had spies watch and confirm that on Sunday mornings, the United States military was slow to get up and start moving. No program. Well, correct, it's no program. But more importantly, this all worked together in their attack of Pearl Harbor on that fateful Sunday morning, December 7th, 1941. Now, we officially enter the war immediately. The United States has been attacked. Congress is not going to be divided anymore. The United States is behind both Congress and its president. And it is said that this, this action has woken the sleeping dragon, the sleeping dragon being the United States. But I do actually think it should be recognized that the British were towing the line, kicking ass, doing their best, and because of what they were laying down and doing, helped us, help them, help everybody win the war against the goddamn Nazis. But either way... Let's talk about some of the mysteries that still remain unsolved to some degree, with the <laughs> exception of one. Well, allegedly, maybe it's a cover-up too. My maybe mystery failure. So, Panda, you want to kick us off? Me? Oh God, do you think I'm driving here? Beep beep. <laughs> he was fascinated, but you were. Saying he wasn't ready, I was listening. I was going to intrude into that, but then I was like, oh, I guess this is just her monologue. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to let <laughs> it go. I'm just going to sit here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so everyone knows the Battle of Pearl Harbor, but no one knows about the Battle of LA, Los Angeles. Yeah, I don't know any other LA, so <laughs> <laughs> you call it what you want. So, yeah, so after December 7th, 1941. Uh, everyone on the West Coast is, is I mean, the whole a whole, the whole country of the United States is on high alert, and now we're going to war. And due to the fact that Hawaii was bombed, there's a, basically a mass-wide panic on, on the West Coast, at least, of what if they come for us next? And so the United States fortifies the West Coast from Seattle to L.A. 
you know, all along the West Coast, but you never know because now there's rumors circulating that the Japanese are here on the West Coast, which, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of Japanese do live on the West Coast because it's... They migrated here. Yeah, migrated over here. So they fortified the whole whole coastline. Anti-aircraft guns, radars, all across the... Every all across the board, they're just fortifying it, just in case something would happen. And so, you know, every day they they start practicing air raids because you know they everyone heard the the news of Germany bombing Britain, and you know, when is when is it our turn? So that actually comes to light, and we actually do. Most people don't know that we actually were attacked by the Japanese another time on United States ground on February twenty third, nineteen forty two. So, three months. Two months? Two About months. three months, yeah. After Pearl Harbor, a Japanese submarine actually services near Santa Barbara and fires on an oil field on Santa Barbara. Now, fortunately, nobody was killed, and the the damage was only minimal because when they attack, it's just one submarine, and they must not have known the lay of the land or did any real structural damage. So now, the West Coast is definitely on high alert, and essentially what they did was is in LA, they caused, they, they manned the guns and, you know, a statewide alert, just they're coming. Be ready. It started like at seven o'clock at night and then until the lockdown and stopped to about 11 at night. So the next morning in the AM round 2 AM, a total blackout was ordered of all of LA. So all the lights are turned off throughout the city and three radars confirmed that there's an unidentified target flying towards LA. So three separate radar stations have identified that something is miles away from LA and coming into the city. So this is this is where they realize, oh shit, this is it. So they they caused the blackout, they caused the lockdown, and they tell to all the the what do they call them? The air raid wardens. So these are basically volunteers, anyone who's had any prior military experience to man the guns that they've now established in these cities to wake up come man these guns and start firing at the first sight of any sort of enemy. So at 3.16 a.m., they start firing everything to the sky. They have the searchlights on, looking for the enemy in the air, and just start firing. They fire over 1,400 anti-aircraft rounds into the sky. So it goes on for at least an hour. And at 7.21 a.m., when the sun finally rises, they lift the lockdown. So after everything was said and done, there was no signs of any sort of plane shot down, any signs of wreckage of any sort of aircraft in the air. So, so what are they shooting at? That's the thing. That's the mystery is that the identified object was never found or any signs shown of any sort of wreckage of being shot down. The only damage that happened was from the, the, the flak that came down from the anti-aircraft rounds came back down to the city and just some structural damage to buildings and two people. So, died. like the shell casings? No. So, when you shoot an anti aircraft round, it's, there's flak that comes out when it explodes in the air. Okay. So, it shoots shrapnel, shrapnel in the okay. air, and the shrapnel stuff will come back down if it doesn't hit anything. So, if you're not hitting anything, then nothing's going to happen. So, the director of the Navy claimed this was a, a false alarm. If we made a mistake, there was no air raid, this and that. But then someone else started stating, oh, there was planes there. We shot down three planes. But there was no, there was nothing there. Local law enforcement went searching for 
any sort of wreckage or anything like that. So they, but at this rate, they've shot at nothing in the air. Even though they had three different radio confirmations. Radar. Radar confirmations. Yes. So that something was, in fact, flying towards L.A. and, in fact, made it to L.A. And they unleashed hell into the sky. Like, 1,400 rounds. That's a lot. Like, that's a lot of guns shooting. Like, the whole, like, you know, it's it's not like bullets. It's not like pop, pop, pop. It's like explosions. rockets. Big explosions happening in the air. Do you think it was an alien, a UFO? I don't. Well, that's the thing is, so when they start, everyone wanted to know, you know, why are we shooting there? Why are we doing this? So the story comes up throughout the war, but they kind of, kind of try to bury it. So then they started stating that there were weather balloons that actually were flying, were being sent out right before the radars found it. So which kind of hits the correlation of the time when the radars found something. So then they maybe think, oh, maybe there's a weather balloon, but they didn't find any sort of weather balloon. But then again, it could have been obliterated. But there are pictures taken. There, you see the spotlights looking in the sky and the, the explosions happening in the air. There's nothing there. So it's the beginning of the weather balloon coverage story because we hear that same bullshit in Roswell mm-hmm. later on. Right. So, and that's the thing. And then there's even this other picture where all the spotlights are confirmed on one spot in the sky. And it shows it shows something being shot at and there's you know lights of explosions happening, but... Like it's hitting something? Right. Like there's only one object though. And that's a picture that they have, but, you know, they also said that could have been tampering to sell newspapers and stuff like that. Okay. So there's no determining what it could have been if it was there, but there was nothing there. They shot all that, and, and but some of the soldiers claimed they saw, they saw planes in the sky, but also you know, being woken up at 3 in the morning, told to go shoot the sky and find something. You're going to start seeing things. I'm going to see some mm-hmm. things. Especially with all the smoke starting to fill up in the air, you can't really see through. So, but well, being half awake and like you said, then subject subjective to—that's not the right word—but to them saying, "Oh, you know, it's plain out there," and you're terror like terrified, and your adrenaline's oh, yeah. pumping, like, yeah, you could potentially create that in your all own head. the lights in LA went out. Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's scary thing yeah. just by itself. Just everything just turned off. Well, you know what the ironic thing is? Is that we see stars where we are, right? Mm-hmm. Like, legit, they they never have all the lights off. What if it was just literally, like, some of those things stars. are just stars that they've literally never seen? Because all the light, yeah. Because it's all reflecting and whatnot, you know? Well, I don't know about that, but I do want to mention, this being a podcast, travel podcast, in San Francisco, the Marin County side, if you go across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco on the Marin County side, there's a park a state park that you can go and you can see the remnants of the fortifications that were built during World War II to protect the city of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. They also have a battleship parked down at the wharf that you can tour. Is that the carrier? Mm-hmm. Something. But no one ever goes to it. It's by, behind Bodine's, but it's really cool. And so after the war is over, they actually asked the Japanese you know, did you send planes over? And they, to this day, denied that they ever sent planes or any sort of thing over L.A. Because they did in Washington. Well, sure. I thought it was, those were balloons, too. They were balloons, yes. Okay, so planes. Right. I'm saying planes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and being a saying planes. Yeah, quote. <laughs> so, you know, and then people start speculating maybe it was a blimp sent by the Japanese because, but then it's like, 
How, uh, that's kind of dumb. How could ever, how could 1,400 rounds miss this blimp that's going so slow, but when the people were saying they saw planes were traveling over 200 miles an hour doing whatever. So, and that's the thing. So, one per, it sounds like the, the director, I think it's called the director of the Navy, but he straight up says this was a failure and this was a mistake and we messed up. But then someone else steps up like, oh, no, there's something was there to justify hmm. the reasoning behind it. So, Either we fucked up or there really was something there, but whatever it was never came down unless they did find it and just covered it up. Right. We scared the aliens off. With our big guns. Big guns. <laughs> just wait till uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. <laughs> <laughs> that would be August 45. Okay, Polar, what you got? What's your mystery? What's All your World right, War II my mystery? mystery is actually kind of funny because it's also covered up by weather. <laughs> It's a discovery of an abandoned German uh, like military station. It is on uh, Alexandra Land, an island in uh, Franz Joseph Land, Arctic Island. And it is, it's 650 miles away from the North Pole, which isn't, isn't that far. But it is a secret Nazi base. Nobody knew about it. And any real research that we have about it actually comes from 2016 in 2016 was the first year that most of the snow melted to where they could actually go and investigate what's going on there what the base was all about yeah what the base was all about and it was it was actually it was discovered by russians and the 1950s that it was there and here, here's a little shady thing is it was destroyed. It was discovered in 1953, but it was destroyed in 1958. Hmm. And that was one of the red flags for me is if you're going to discover something on your territory that somebody used, and it's abandoned. It was abandoned by the time they discovered it. Why would you destroy it? Why would the Russians destroy it? Why would it? Right. the Rus- Russians destroy it? I mean, always, you know, anytime any country occupies somewhere else, they just reuse the stuff that's already there. Correct. You know, it's a base, you know, it's got shelter, food, but... You know, cinder blocks? I mean, they're a whole nother thing, though, because, I mean, we saw in both world wars that they were just flip-floppers on everything, <laughs> so there's no rhyme or reason to what they do. Right. Right, and I mean, that was during, I mean, 1950s, during the Cold War, I believe, Right, they could have used it for their own. They could have used it for something. Yeah, so now that we're investigating, and in 1942, I think the base was established, it was called the Schatzgraber, German, which translates to treasure hunter. And that was actually really funny to me because it is one of the 10 weather stations that was built by Germans. So what, what they did was, throughout the map, like the weather was a really big factor in World War Two. Like yes, it was. The, you know the Russians know their weather patterns, and it would hit you know somewhere in Europe, and um, the Germans were at a disadvantage for weather, so they set up different stations to measure, just be ahead of the game type of thing. And this this is said to be one of them. You know, it's said that all like one of the interviews that I was reading, they said, "Oh no, this was only a weather station." Full of scientists, and that's it. But it was called treasure. Yeah, hunt. it's called the treasure hunter. That you know, that's another red flag right there. Okay. <laughs> and the more I read into it, the more I found out that the little secret goal 
of the Nazis because they were so fascinated by like myths and stuff. Like even the swastika itself, it doesn't come, you know, from Germany. That's like an Indian. It's Buddhist. 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 Yeah. They, they pulled from all different lores yes. to, you know, inspire, to, you know, build their empire and stuff and inspire their people. So they were actually looking for a Nordic artifacts like mm-hmm. Thor's hammer type shit. They were, it, okay. They were looking some for some, you know, North mythology power type stuff in to harness. Yeah. So basically we're talking Raiders of the Lost Ark Covenant of the Ark power. Right. We're looking in the north for that. Right. And I mean, you you're not going to find that on paper cuz that sounds pretty whack, but that's that's what the word is, you know. They were looking for something cuz you know, there's no reason to go out that far. I mean, weather patterns are great, but I don't. I don't think that's w- that's what it was. Especially naming a station treasure hunter. Right. So did they find anything of significance? So now that they were scavenging, they didn't find anything of significance. But they they found enough to prove that it wasn't just a science station. So what they found was German mines, hand grenade fragments, cartridges, cartridge boxes, cartridge for Mauser ninety eight rifles. Boxes of MG34 machine guns, which are those big mountain machine guns with the belts and stuff. Uh, parts of German uniforms, coats, you know, socks, underwear, all kinds of clothes, bunch of shells. So is this more than your average, this is artillery to protect? Or is this something where they're defending because they're hiding something in it? Well, yeah, that was a good question, and I don't know. I don't think I ever solved it. That's why it's an unsolved mystery. Mm-hmm. We do find out that they actually used this station for uh, uh, their U-boats, their submarines, to stop there and refill or, you know, take a break or whatever. That's That was one of their operations is uh, taking Make a care rest of, stop yeah, for the Yeah, make U-boat. a rest stop for the U-boats. And then so there's actually a little story that you read about it, and it said that, you know, they they ran out of food while they were there. It's cold. There's nothing else there. And, I mean, and that's, you know, there's there's kind of two, two ways you're going to go. Are you going to believe what the story says or are you going to kind of like, you know, maybe that's, that's a cover-up type thing. And the story says that they ran out of food and they started hunting polar bears, mm-hmm. ironically. I have to do this story. <laughs> <laughs> to survive. And they started eating polar bears because that's the only thing that's out and about. The The rivers are frozen over. And, I mean, if you haven't seen a polar bear, those things are fucking huge. And they're not like black bears where you make some noise and they run away. They are the apex predator. And they're not scared of anything. It sounds like he's establishing his dominance. <laughs> yeah. That was a superior They bear. eat pandas <laughs> for breakfast. <laughs> um, you have a bamboo stick coming at your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Either way, so they started hunting him, and it's said that the scientists or military men that were there, they didn't know how to cook bear, and they undercooked it. And when they ate it, it was it was full of parasites. Um. And so everybody at that station got sick. Did hmm. the fucking Nazis die? Uh, they Allegedly. They, uh, the ones at the station, they didn't. So they all got sick, and, you know, they called for help, and which was kind of... Weird, weird to me, like, even though the U-boats stop there every so often. Either way, they, they sent out an airplane to go pick pick them up and, you know, evac them out of there. And 
funny enough that when the airplane lands, it broke a wheel, so it couldn't take back off. So they had to send another airplane out to bring a wheel to fix the first plane to evac everybody else. By this time, you know, the the parasites kind of take their toll on the crew. And it said that the leader of that base, the crew, he was he was in like an altered state of mind when they uh, they went to evac them. They had to strap him down to the bed so he wouldn't cause a like a riot and fucking panic in the airplane. Yeah, and it was that's what I'm kind of questioning about. You know, does polar bear parasites? And you know, it's like it made him crazy. It's not only like they. Um, they ate something bad and they had, you know, throw, they were throwing up for a while. They it actually made them crazy. And that's the mystery behind it is whether, you know, whether they really actually... It was really polar, polar bear. Was there something out there with them? And why did later on when Russians did find that base, why didn't they use it? Why did they destroy it? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like we've talked about it might, you know, that's what like the movie The Thing is based off. People in the middle of the snowy... Uh, thing and John Carpenter's yeah mm-hmm. something going on in there so that's that's what my unsolved mystery I don't think that it was just polar bear meat that made those guys and it was act. disgusting or volatile enough for the Russians to destroy it later yeah yeah I I think we all know that Hitler had was doing lots of experiments he was trying to harness electricity which is why they think that they had so many weather stations was because they were doing electricity experiments and whatnot but it's well known that he buried all of his treasure underground and put like supply caches on top of it so i mean that would make sense for like the u-boats and whatnot um I mean, and he was we've talked about the hidden station hitler station in ukraine correct we had a whole podcast right? about that one well and it's you know well known that he was doing experiments on people, on having a scientist do experiments. So, I mean, these could be scientists there for weather under that guise. But really, like, they all could have gotten sick based on whatever they were testing out, making a new weapon, trying some type of gene therapy because they were so into DNA. I mean, who knows what they were doing. That's possible, too, like that. All right. They were becoming droggers. Norse mythology. Yes. They were doing bath salts. Bath salts. (laughs) If that's a thing, See that can I please be the board. winged badass in that movie? <laughs> What's her name? She's so cool. She's the, uh, starts with a V, Valkyrie. Mm. Valkyrie. I yeah, love her. Yeah. All right, Samantha, what's your mystery? Well, my mystery is about the plane called Lady Be Good, which was a World War II bomber plane that magically disappeared. So the story starts on... Uh, 2.50 p.m. on April 4th, 1943, when 25 B-24Ds of the 36th Bomb Group took off from an Air Force base in Libya for a bombing attack against Naples, Italy. So they were taking off in staggers, like a, they were staggered takeoffs, so they were all going out in different waves, and Lady Be Good was the last one to go out. It's kind of funny because this is her first and last mission, but ironically, she was a new c- aircraft, and her crew had just arrived a couple days, like a week before they did this mission. So she's a new plane, this is a new crew, and they go out and they, you know, spoiler, mis- mysteriously disappear. So, like I said, first and last mission, she was the last one to take off, and all of them start to go, but then they 
get hit with weather, so they turn around and all of them come back except for Lady Be Good. Hmm? Right? Yes. No one knows where Lady Be Good goes for 16 years. It becomes a mystery that whole time. But it's said that she actually reached her destination at 7.30 that night, but they couldn't see the where they were supposed to drop their bombs. So they went to turn around. They were... They had no visibility. They were losing fuel. They were heavy, so they started throwing. They put their dropped their ordnance in the ocean to lighten their load and conserve fuel. So at around 12 a.m., Lady Be Good, who was flying alone, encountered even more issues. Her pilot reported their, that their automatic direction finder was not working and that they needed directions to the airfield. They never got those directions. So they flew over the base and into the desert. Oh, no. Right? <laughs> they overshot no! it. So at 2 a.m., they're starting to lose uh, They're starting to lose fuel. So the crew parachutes out. And she is, like, you know, slowly losing fuel. So she's slowly descending into the ground, and she hits and crashes 16 miles from where they departed. This is all going to be important in a second because, spoiler alert, my mystery is not a mystery. So a search and rescue crew goes out to try to find her, but they never find the aircraft and they never find the people. So 16 years later, on November 9th, 1958, a British exploration team. So I saw that, that it was just an exploration team. I saw that they were oil. They were, like, out looking for oil. But they go out on a plane over the Sahara Desert and they see a crash site. So they radio it in because they can't get down there. And then in May of 1959, a team actually goes out to search that location and they find Lady Be Good. But not her crew. And because of, like, the dry conditions of the desert and the way that she slowly descended, she's like a time capsule. She's perfectly preserved. Mm -hmm. So it literally looks like the crew just happened to leave. Like, it doesn't really even look like a crash. Like, I have a picture of it. So, I mean, it does look a little bit like it, and the, you have to, the context of this picture isn't great, but when you actually look at the plane itself, it's literally just split in half. Right, it's, oh. like, pretty intact. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like the dirt softened it. I don't really know how that works. I never thought about hitting the, the dirt <laughs> before. Yeah. Just landed. Yeah. Just landed in just the Just landed, bro. It in, yeah. Well, so that's a question, right? Why did they not land the plane? So it gets even more crazy because the plane's broken in two, but it's perfect. They find containers filled with water, a flask with coffee, and the crew's personal possessions. They find that the 50 caliber machine gun on the plane actually still works 16 years later. They also found that a radio and one of the engines was functional. So she was still working. She still worked. They were firing the gun. They could turn this engine on, and there was a radio that was still working. So they don't understand why the crew jumped ship then. They have. They didn't at first. So when they get there, they notice there's no bodies, so they assume that the crew must have bailed out. So a year after this, a U.S. team, a U.S. military team, goes out to find the crew, but they can't find anything other than just, like, their personal effects strewn with throughout the desert. Like, they keep walking, and they find more personal effects. Now that they know where to look. So in 1960, another Br British exploration team, because they're just killing it for us, apparently, <laughs> they find five members of the crew. The deceased bodies, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that prompted another U.S. search that went out and found two more of the bodies. So there's a nine-member crew. We've now found seven of them. 
So then another British oil exploration team finds the eighth member of the team, but we never find the ninth. To this day, have never found the ninth. And that all eight of them are actually buried here in the United States now. So they also found a journal of Lieutenant Robert Toner, which detailed their last days. So this is what they think happened. The crew must have thought that they were over the Mediterranean Ocean when they bailed out. They didn't realize that they were over um, the desert. So they bailed out thinking they were bailing out into the ocean because she was going to crash. Instead, they were over the desert. So So they were further than they anticipated. mm -hmm. If they would have known that they could have just... If they... If they would have known they were in the desert, they probably would have tried to land it, and then they could have survived because they had a radio, a functioning engine, and all of their supplies. So, But it still doesn't make any sense why they would bail if they had a radio and a functioning engine. Well, because they thought they were going to crash into the ocean because they were losing fuel. So they thought that if the plane crashed, they were going to drown. They wanted to get out of the plane for the best chance of surviving, I'm assuming. Well, that's a mystery. Yeah. Right? So they found... One person was dead on impact, and that person was found semi-close to the plane because the plane was only 16 miles from where they had bailed out. The rest of them appeared to have met up and attempted to make it back to the base. They thought that the base was only 100 miles away. It was actually 400 miles away. And it's kind of remarkable because they never should have survived for as long as they did, first and foremost, in those types of conditions. They thought that the average person would have only been able to walk 30 miles in those types of conditions, but five of them went 78 miles, and one of them went 109 miles. So he actually would have made it to the base if their calculations were correct. No. Isn't that crazy? Damn. So yeah, so the only other thing that I have to say about that, because it wasn't a mystery, was I added in a different dark corner so it's believed that the Lady B. Goods parts are cursed because they sent her parts back to the United States to be studied. And they actually, I don't know why you would do this in the first place. It seems like bad juju, but they use some of her parts on other planes. They recycled the parts? Mm-hmm. So one, the first one that got it experienced some type of propeller trouble. The next one ditched in the ocean, and I'm not 100% sure what that means, but I'm assuming like maybe crashed. Same, the, the concept they tried to do. I'm assuming is they uh, they had to bail, so they had dipped in the ocean, so they wouldn't get it. And right, so mm-hmm. uh, the same idea, right? I would imagine. So that's two different planes. The third plane had Lady Begood's armrest in it, and it actually had like Lady Begood on that armrest. They put it into another plane, and that plane crashed into the Gulf of Sidra with ten people aboard who were never found. And many of those parts from the wreckage actually washed up onto the beach, one of which being <laughs> the, the armrest that <laughs> oh says God. Lady Be Good. Is that, that was well, cool. I was cute. like, okay. It's a like, you can't film kill us. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't have a mystery, but I'll add a little creepy. Killer plane. So, my mystery is actually a very famous, and speaking of treasure, mystery is what happened to the Amber Room. So, let's. A little, a little history in the Amber Room. What is the Amber Room? The Amber Room was actually constructed in 1701 by the King of Prussia. Now, Prussia is a country that no longer exists, but it was basically kind of like the west-south part of Russia and the northern-east part of Europe. So that little pocket there. And construction for this room was in the 
Charlottenburg Palace in Prussia. King Frederick I, who was actually the first king of Prussia, had it done. It took 13 years to complete. And during a visit from Peter the Great, the Russian czar, he came to the palace and he was like, this is nice. And in 1716, the king of Prussia, Frederick had died, so his son is now king, William I, actually gives Peter the Amber Room as a gift to cement their relationship with Russia because they were like, how about we go to war against Sweden, King Charles VII together, and Russia was like, sure, no problem. So... William gives Russia the Amber Room, and they go to war against Sweden. But that's not not important now. But in January 1717, 18 large boxes get packed up. They all go to the Winter House in St. Petersburg, Russia, and becomes part of this fabulous art collection. And over time, they, the czars and the wives start kind of doing renovations and making it grander. And in 1755, the Tsarina Elizabeth orders that this room get placed into the Catherine Palace in Pushkin, which is also called the Tsar's Village. And when this happens, they basically renovate, revamp. They add gold, they add gems, they add semi-precious stones. So now it's expanded from just amber and amber paneling to this beautiful sparkling room. And and the renovations continue throughout the uh, 18th century. So by the time the 1800s roll around, we're talking a 180 square foot room that just basically glowed with amber and all of these gems and stones. By today's estimation, the room was worth $142 million dollars However, this was the Tsar's gem, the Tsarina's gems. So Tsarina Elizabeth used it for meditation. Catherine the Great used it to gather people together. And Alexander II was like, I'm going to use this place to put all my handmade trophies because, you know, they congratulated themselves a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, this all changes a, hundred, a couple hundred years later with World War II. Everybody was familiar with the famed Amber Room. It was one of the gems of Russia. And thanks to Operation Barbarossa, the fucking Nazis, when they decided to invade Russia with 3 million German soldiers in on June 22nd, 1941. This is before Pearl Harbor. They basically like, here's our checklist. Here's the prizes we want. Let's go get them, guys. And... So they start looting Russia, and on top of the list is the Amber Room. And part of the Germans' thinking is is that um, we made it, it should be for us. Because again, this pocket that I referred to earlier is part Germany, part Russia combo. That's what Russia was made of. So the Germans, relying on their history, was like, we did this, we're taking it back. Well, also... The Nazis were assholes, and so they just thought that they everything belonged to them. Yeah. Correct. Correct. We're going to make this world, wonderful world, this utopian world, so we get all the good stuff. 
So when the Nazis move into Pushkin, the curators and officials were like, what the fuck are we going to do? And they initially start trying to remove the amber from the room. But over time, the amber actually had ended up drying and getting brittle. So when they started to move like the paneling, the amber was breaking. So what they did was they're like, you know what? We're just going to bust out some wallpaper and we're going to paste over the amber. <laughs> to like hide it? Correct. Okay. Just clarifying. And I swear I read or watched something because the Amber Room mystery has always been one of those mysteries I've always kind of like YouTube videoed or listened or read up on every time I saw an article. I swore like the first time they entered this particular palace, they actually managed to convince the Nazis this wasn't the right room. But the second time, the Nazis were like, no, 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 this looks fake. And they start peeling off the wallpaper and start seeing the amber behind. So the Nazis ended up taking it all down. And I mean, and they do it quick. They do it within 36 hours of determining the, yeah, this is it. And they pack up 27 crates. So, I mean, here we've gone from this one scenario where it's just basically kind of like a wall from the King of Prussia to this whole room with gems and gold in it. And they ship it to, Kongensburg, I'm without a doubt butchering that, but they ship it to the castle in Kongensburg, Germany. Today it's known as uh, Kaliningrad, Kaliningrad, Germany. Now, they're of course, the fucking Nazis of course are elated. They, they decide they're going to make this kind of like a museum. And the director of the museum is a gentleman by the name of Alfred Rode. And he's like, elated, ecstatic, and he even starts studying how they kind of made this amber and all this wonderful uh, design. But by 1943, you know, the United States are in. We've been in for approximately a year and a half-ish. And he's starting to get worried that with the Allies kind of really fighting back that the castle will become a target. And he's right. In the following year, August of 1944, we start bombing this castle, and the castle actually does get hit. And so what they do is they're like, we got to pack this shit up. We got to hide this. When we win the war, we'll just unpack. Because, again, the Nazis were prepared to come back a third time, you understand. They had plans like, okay, well, we're trenched now, but we're not, this isn't over, bitches. Uh, they're wrong. But either way, the point is, is that at this point in time, what happens to the Amber Room is the, the mystery. Some say it got destroyed with the bombings. Some say while in transit, in hiding, the allies with the bombings, they got destroyed by the bombings in transit to their hiding spot. But some argue that it's actually in the bottom of the Baltic Sea. And this, to me, is a valid potential ending because the Nazis, the fucking Nazis, had the habit of hiding their treasures in certain lakes with the intent to pull them out later. I mean, mm -hmm. Lake Topaz alone has so many things in it. I mean, the, uh, I can't remember the country that's got control of Lake Topaz, but they're like, no more treasure hunting because of 
how many people want to go in and get all the Nazi treasures that they know the Nazis were dumping. They, the residents said, we saw them doing it. But the point is, is that I think to some degree that the Baltic Sea is potentially where the Amber Room, the romance, anyways, is. Now, the curious thing, and speaking of curses, they believe of something called the Amber Room Curse. People who have basically been involved since the removal of the Amber Room has been a bit interesting. Like, for instance, the museum, and I'm using air quotes when I say that the fucking Nazi museum curator Rode and his wife actually end up dying of typhus while the KGB is investigating them and the whereabouts of the room. But, I mean, it's the Russians, so they, should, they do questionable shit all the time. Ukraine obviously being the most recent. A general, a General Guzev, a Russian intelligence officer, even dies in a car crash after he talked to a journalist about the Amber Room. So he's dead. And strangely enough, the an Amber Room hunter, the treasure hunter, and former German soldier George Stein was murdered in the Bavarian forest in 1987, you know, obviously he's on the trail for the Amber Room. So people who are involved in the Amber Room just mysteriously Poof. not make it. They don't make it. But to this day, they still don't know where the Amber Room is. They did, however, a couple of years ago, they came across a gentleman who was trying to sell an authentic panel of the Amber Room. And of course, international police, Interpol, are on this type of thing because they want to return the treasures to the correct owners. But more importantly, when they found this guy, this German guy trying to sell this Amber piece, he's like, look, my dad was a German soldier. He was a fucking Nazi. So what they think happened was daddy, when he was packing these crates up, was like, one for us, two for me, one for us, two for me, mm -hmm. kind of scenario. And the family just kind of kept it hidden all this time. So they are finding remnants of the Amber Room, but they're not finding it in quantities. Mm -hmm. So, and it's entirely possible that's exactly what happened. One for the Nazis, one for me kind of scenario. Mm -hmm. And that's how come they're finding these little pieces. But that's the Amber Room. And to this day, it's gone missing. So that's it. And, I mean, there's so many. We did actually have our choice of pickings for mysteries. Yeah, for the gold train would have been a good one, too. Yes, the gold train. Are you familiar with the gold train? Judging my face, I'm gonna go with no. <laughs> I'm assuming it has Nazi gold in a Nazi train, right? So that's and it's gone, it's probably right. in some lake, <laughs> probably, probably Lake Topaz. I mean, who knows? In fact, they just recently just discovered a cabin in the, in the mountains that they believed was built in World War II and Nazi. Here's my occupied. thing so when they say they just discovered. I feel like someone accidentally let it slip, and now they have to announce, oh, we just discovered. Right. Because there's no way all of this is still missing, and no one knows a single thing about it. 80 you know? years later. Right. Because it's within the 100-year mark, so 
I mean, just a hundred years ago, we were were if it was nineteen twenties now. If right, and so this is the end of World War One, mm-hmm. and the Germans are held accountable for fucking World- that up. Correct, and so it's the beginning of the Great Depression for them. We don't hit the Great Depression, I think, until twenty. 1928, August, excuse me, October 28, 1928. You know, that's when the black market crashes for us. Um, but the, the black point, market? I know, I was like, hey, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> I was like hold on, I, America market. wasn't selling organs yet, hold on. <laughs> well, and to be clear, they stole a lot of currency, especially from the Jewish people, obviously, because mm. they were so thrifty with their money. They had a lot of jewelry and gold and stuff. Like, they knew how to, like, invest and hide their money and jewelry and whatnot. But then the Nazis stole all that. But like you said, pr- coming out of World War One into World War Two, they were so bankrupt and so such in such a bad place, they were burning their money in the wheelbarrow, uh, wheelbarrows full because yeah, they weren't heat. worth anything, yeah. and they needed the heat. Yeah, so, and war, let's be clear, is very prosperous to countries, and he knew that. So when he's raiding stuff, he's trying to, like, I... I think to some extent he's greedy but he was also trying to prop his country up like if we win we need all this wealth because if we lose you and know, we also need to pay for everything well and also <laughs> if we lose we need all this wealth because we have nothing yeah right and that's why i think they were sending a lot of things to south america was because they intended to counter the defeat of world war Two. they were intending to plot and use the resources in south america to start another war or or convince it, South America to, to come after us. Or, right, or establish another type of nation there. Yeah, his plan was global domination. He did, what, had no intention of stopping. He was really hoping that war was going to save him and he was going to reign supreme. You know, and one of the shocking things, and I did not even just know about but was floored, was they had Nazi clubs in South America, but basically all over the world. They had mm-hmm. the youth clubs everywhere. It was, at, a, it was a good thing to be a Nazi. Right. But it's like, are you fucking kidding me? You're in America. Yeah. Oh, but history repeats itself. When we were, uh, the hopes white man, was oh, trying yeah, man. to explore the Americas. I mean, they left outposts everywhere, right? So Blankets. he just did very much the same thing. He put outposts everywhere. And then he hid things under them. Right, and now we're still trying to find it all up, dig it all up. Where's this? Where's that? Where's the Amber Room? Do they believe we have no idea what's out there? It's in, it's in America next to the, the founding spot of the Book of Mormon. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <no. laughs> well, and it doesn't help that, A, that they were masters at, archi- at architectures, and they had thousands of slaves at their disposal to build whatever they wanted to be built. I mean, it was slaves that built his thing in, in the oh. Ukraine. Yeah, the underground bunker. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, we don't know about all the bunkers that the slaves were forced to build. And I that to some degree, I think that's when they were retrenching and pulling, like, the gold train in the Amber Room. I think there was there's one or a few that we haven't found and after 80 years, people have just grown, you know, wildlife has just grown over. Someone's found it. Yeah. Someone's found it. They just don't want to tell us. They're being stingy. <laughs> they have their own amber room. Yeah. <laughs> they built they cook eggs in there or something. <laughs> <laughs> They're my own amber. Yeah. With blackjack. 
Okay. Well, it's a mosaic <laughs> now, though, because the amber was breaking. Oh, and yeah. It down, so. So that's it. These are just a few, very few, mysteries of World War II. But we do also want to recognize and appreciate in, in an appreciation of all those who serve, who have served, and continue to serve our nation. Facebook. 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 And we have a Facebook page <laughs> where we um, actually are starting to do something kind of fun, I think. We're starting to do surveys, which um oh the polls yeah nobody likes surveys yeah, yeah no one likes the word survey like a time intensive thing yeah it's like oh. okay well we're doing polls we're, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do them yeah we'll Yay. do we'll do surveys are you satisfied <laughs> <laughs> with your service or your podcast service because it, the only answers are uh, sometimes strongly agree and agree. <laughs> How many times my bank popped up? Like, hey, do you like our app? Uh, get no. out of here. <laughs> I'll, I'll rate you later. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll rate you later. And then, you know, then I start to worry, like, are they going to start paying me less or taking my money Your bank away? pays you? <laughs> no, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> pull, charging pulling anymore? part of my paycheck away. Like, you didn't rate our app. Oh, gosh. But in the meantime, if you, after you take one of our polls or surveys, you have a topic or serial killer or holiday something you'd like us to cover, send us requests at Facebook page. <laughs> at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Oh, yeah, sure, that too. Polar Bear's favorite, it, or Panda yes, Bear's I know favorite. Polar Bear's favorite. <laughs> it's easy just Email to click address. the Facebook button and go to the page and say, hey, can you do this? I would say, you gave him the opportunity, and he was like, not the email. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just suggested how to do it. Just go on there and say, hey, this guy's kind of cool. <laughs> I haven't looked into it, or if you would look into it and tell the world about this guy, that's all you got to do. All right. Final thoughts, Panda. Uh, don't put your ex on there. I'm not going to research her. Okay. Or him. <laughs> Dead or alive. I don't know. Just remember that our stories are researched but not complete. So please look into them some more. And if, you know, you know something else and something cool, you know, leave a leave a comment. Let us know where we fucked up or right. there was other fun facts that you found out about it or more recent discoveries on our topics. We would like to know. Samantha? Well, my final thought would be a suggestion, a recommendation, since we talked about Nazi mysteries today. Mm -hmm. There's a show called, a scripted show called Blood and Treasure, and their whole first season is about a Nazi mystery, which is kind of fun. And they do interface it a lot with actual history, which I like uh, from a scripted series. Like, if you're going to, you know, put it up against history, I want it to be as accurate as possible, and I think they do a really good job. So, since it's winter and we have nothing to do, go binge. Blood and treasure. Blood and, and our podcast, obviously. But what? where can they find that on? CBS, I believe. Okay. Blood and blood out, too. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's L.A. Oh, I think it was on L.A. <laughs> it's L.A. now. Huh? All right. So, until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. <laughs>